All right, let's go to our scripture reading for this morning, and we're looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, uh, through chapter 6, verse 3. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews and our passage today really... uh, ties in really well with the passage we looked at last week that pointed us to the priesthood of Christ. And uh, we looked at briefly what our, our lives could look like if we were to imitate uh, the priesthood of Christ. And today's passage, the author, uh, he transitions into making a very much related point about maturity. Maturity. And uh, he's very obviously concerned about uh, the maturity among level of maturity among his readers, uh, and what's also noticeable is um, he's not expressing frustration because of that. Okay, uh, he's encouraging them with very specific exhortations. Okay, rather than speaking out of frustration, he's suggesting something very proactive that they can actually do, um, and and that's where you really see the author's pastoral heart. Uh, He's prescribing something rather than just expressing negative emotions. So very uh, proactive, intentional, and pastoral um, passage here. Okay, what is he prescribing for his people? Uh, For for his primary audience being Jewish Christians and for us today, the the church, uh, in a word, it's discernment. What he's prescribing is discernment. He's encouraging them to develop the gift or the, the power of discernment. And that's what we'll unpack today, the power of discernment. And, and we'll hit these three simple points. What is the power of discernment? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? Okay, what is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? Okay, so let's talk about the first point. What, what is the power of discernment? Verse 14 says this, and this is where the, the phrase comes up. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So notice here that those who are mature have something called the powers of discernment. Okay? Um, so it's a sign of maturity, right? that's for sure. And what you also see here is that it provides the means of distinguishing between good and evil. Okay? And of course here, good and evil are defined according to the holiness of God, the very character of God, and it's not uh, just my personal opinion or your personal opinion or our cultural opinion, which evolves over time. It's 
it's something rooted in something unchanging, and that is God's very own character. And distinguishing that, that's um, very much the literal definition of discernment in the Greek. It's, it literally means the capacity to understand and distinguish between the nature of things, what's real, what's not real, what's good, what's evil, uh, what's primarily important, what's secondarily important, um, what is true, untrue, and per- perhaps most importantly, what can save and what cannot save. Okay. Um, and, and you see this importance of discernment all throughout the Bible, actually. So, for example, here's one from Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 8 um, says, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern right, what is pleasing to the Lord. So there, discernment has few implications, right? It has moral implications, discerning what's good. It has intellectual implications, discerning what's true. And it has relational implications, discerning what pleases God. Okay. So when you put that together with what the author of Hebrews is saying, the power of discernment is essentially this most basic, basic faculty that empowers the Christian to live the Christian life absolutely essential for every Christian in order to live the Christian life. In other words, you can't live the Christian life if you don't have the power of discernment. Okay? And I wonder if you knew that, uh, that your Christian life does not run an, on auto, okay? autopilot. Um, it requires this tool called discernment. Okay? One does not simply live the, this reminds me of the Lord of the Rings meme where Baromir, right? One does not simply walk into, right, mortar. Um, one does not simply live the Christian life. Okay? You need the power of discernment to do that. Okay, now, here's where you really have to hear me on this and, and pay close attention to. Um, I'm not saying you need the power of discernment to become a Christian, Right? Uh, the Bible is very clear. It's the Spirit of God that gives us that, that kind of spiritual discernment to put our trust in Jesus Christ right, in his life, death, and resurrection so that by that spiritual discernment we'll be born again. What we're talking about here is what you need in order to live out that faith in Jesus Christ, having been born again. Okay? You need to grow in that discernment, having been born again by the Spirit's gift of discernment. So think of discernment as this newly given organ for every single Christian that you now need to cultivate and nourish and grow in in order for you to live out the Christian life. That's what that is, right? So you should begin to sense the importance of this, just how essential this is for the Christian life. So, and I want to process this with you some more and say it this way too. That being a Christian, therefore, doesn't just look like you know, a person holding on to a set of doctrines and beliefs, okay? signing off on a, on a piece of paper that summarizes your doctrines and beliefs, it actually is more about how one lives out those beliefs. Okay? How? By practicing discernment. Okay? It requires action. W- one of the basic principles of the Word of God or the oracles of God, as the author mentions in verse 12, is this. Okay? Uh, you have the Word of God, right? Well, are you... Are you using the Word of God in life? Are you skilled in the usage of the Word of God? Right? That's one of the very basic principles in the Bible. 
And that's what he means in verse 13 as well when he says, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. And what does, I mean, what does skillfulness imply? Usage, right? Usage. Um, here's what he's saying. You have the word of God, but you haven't been putting it to use. That's a problem. In verse 14, he drives this point home when he says, the power of discernment are trained by constant what? Meditation? Reflection? Believing? No. Practice. Practice. Okay? Constant practice. Constant usage. Uh, it's got to be your everyday way of life. Discernment. Utilizing the power of discernment. This is one of the most basic Christian principles that this audience has been dropping the ball on and perhaps for many of us today as well. So on the one hand, we know we've been born again only because the Holy Spirit, by, his, by the grace of God, enabled us to discern Christ and his gospel. Yes, right? Now you have to grow in your discernment and practice living with that discernment, right? living a discerning life. And so for the, for the Jewish Christians the author was writing to, and for many Christians today, this very basic principle might, be, might have been something just forgotten, okay? neglected. Um, there is often this imbalance in the way a person identifies themselves as a Christian today. Uh, it's predominantly right, by articulating one's doctrines and beliefs, right? or just kind of articulating your, your denominational sort of affiliation. But that's not what discernment means. It's not merely, merely the, the holding fast to sound doctrine. Um, it's not just intellectual, it's behavioral too. Okay. Uh, in fact, discernment, when it comes to discernment, that's only evidenced in how you behave, in the choices you make and in the decisions that you make. Okay. You're not simply therefore defined by how much you know about Christianity, but you're more defined by how much you live out what you know. Okay. And that's why discernment is so important because it's really the only thing that evidences, evidences your Christian identity, that you in fact believe what you say that you believe. How do I know that in, I in fact believe that I believe what I say I believe? If you're living it out with discernment in your everyday life. Okay. And it's very important for us to understand that's our faith. That's our religion. This is our religion, not one that's proven by what we can sign off on a piece of paper or what we can argue all day with people about. Our faith is proven by what we live out in our living rooms, in our bedrooms, in our classrooms, in, in the office, among our friends, coworkers, and neighbors. That's the power of discernment. It's the power to bring your faith to bear on your life. Because that's what that is, and that's why that's, in a sense, so important. And here's more on why we need it, okay? So let's go to the second point. Why do we need this so much? Here's one sort of general reason to get us start, uh, start thinking about this. We need discernment to live the Christian life because most of the decisions that we make in, in the everyday life are not found in the Bible, 90% of the everyday decisions that you make from day to day are not explicitly commanded in the Bible. For example, the Bible talks about marriage, right? For sure it talks about marriage. But you will not discover by reading the Bible 
uh, whether you should marry a certain person or not. Okay. Uh, you will not discover the timing of when you should be married or the, the person that you should be married to, the personality traits you're looking for. Neither does the Bible tell you which city you should live in, whether you should apply to grad school or not, whether you should join a church or not. These things are not explicitly given to you. Why? Because they're meant for you to discern. Discern for yourself. I'm using bigger life decisions as examples just to make the point clear, but really discernment is something we use more so in the, the little everyday life situations. Like, you know, how should I spend my weekend? Uh, should I eat out or should I eat at home? Should I text this person or call this person? How should I sound in my email? Uh, what, sh what should I set my alarm for tomorrow morning? These are all decisions that are made either with discernment or without. Okay? Either wisely or not wisely. Uh, and actually, these smaller decisions on a more cumulative level are really the ones that shape the majority of our lives. Even the so-called big decisions in life, they really feel big to you because it's, a, it's this umbrella that encompasses a lot of small decisions, right? It's all about the small decisions. And when it comes to small decisions, you need discernment. It's not in the Bible. The Bible equips you to have discernment about all these little decisions that you make in life. And that's what shapes you. That's what shapes who you are. So discernment is not something to be treated like sort of break glass when necessary in case of emergency type of thing. It's essential everyday tool for every Christian. Okay? Um, there's that. And on top of that, discernment is so vital for us in our cultural context today, in our day and age, because our minds are desperately in need of some quality control. Uh, we live in the age of information overload, right? Whereas you know, where we live in a culture where we're encouraged to take in a whole lot of information but not encouraged that much to really process patiently the information that we take in. Uh, in other words, we're in a sense encouraged to take information without any filter, which leads our minds to grow and develop in quantity but not in quality. But that doesn't really bother people today all that much because, you know, in the informational age, you know, quantity does seem to trump quality. And that's a problem. There's a really uh, helpful book that I read. It's not written by a Christian, but was, I still find it very helpful. It's written by Matthew B. Crawford, titled Shop Class as Soulcraft. And it's essentially a book that addresses this cultural problem that we have. And uh, Matthew Crawford, as a former educator, uh, turned mechanic, which is interesting, uh, he tackles this problem from the educational level and points out that in today's education, uh, what we, what we th really go to education for has become a means of uh, uh, producing credentials, credentials, rather than a true cultivation of knowledge, knowledge that can be put into real use. So we say this all the time, like, man, yeah, I passed AP calculus, but never putting that to use again. Or, man, I crammed all night for, for economics or, or U.S. government. 
I don't remember a thing, right? So we, we say that all the time. We learn a ton of things we don't put into everyday use, and he says that's a problem. And he caused that, uh, or when he, what he caused the, the opposite of that is actually manifesting oneself concretely in the world. Manifesting oneself concretely in the world. And to me, that's exactly what Jesus meant by let your light shine before others. Um, don't just get educated about how you are the light of the world. Don't just meditate on the fact that you are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Okay? Manifest it concretely into the world. Okay? And Crawford has a great quote about just boasting in mere knowledge and credentials or titles that reminds me of the, the author of Hebrews. He says, quote, boasting is what a boy does. Now, this sounds like our passage already right there. Boasting is what a boy does because he has no real effect in the world. But the tradesman, and by that he means somebody using his hands and feet, must reckon with the infallible judgment of reality where one's failures or shortcomings cannot be interpreted away. His well-founded pride is far from the gratuitous self-esteem that educators would impart to students as though by magic. And then later he says very succinctly, this is probably my favorite quote from the book, he says, you can't hammer a nail over the internet. You can't hammer a nail over the internet. I think the author of Hebrews is pretty much addressing the very same exact point just when it comes to the spiritual lives that we live, where there are Christians, or so-called Christians, behaving like boys who like to boast when they have no concrete effect in real world. They feel good about their identity when that identity is not even visible in the real world. They're trying to hammer nails on the internet by arguing on the internet. And here's a question that the author of Hebrews is really smuggling in to, to cause us to begin questioning, and that is, if my Christian life is not visible in the real world, is it real? If my Christian life is not visible in the real world, is my Christian faith actually real? And next week he gets into a very interesting passage about that, about some who have indeed tricked themselves into thinking that they're Christians when they're actually not because they don't live with this discernment. And we'll get to that next week. If you don't have discernment, you don't have a visible Christian life. And if you don't have a visible Christian life, are you in fact a Christian? That's the question that he's setting you up for. And that's perhaps the most important reason why we need the power of discernment, to make our faith visible. To not just hear about our faith, but to do it, to put it into action, to live it out and manifest it concretely in reality. Along with that, I think you get a very important second uh, reason why we need discernment, and that is that the world today desperately needs Christians who are visible. The world needs Christians who live out their Christianity. The, the darkness actually needs lamps that shine. And not just theoretically light, but in reality, light. Christians who are not just good at talking about their faith, arguing about their faith, posting about their faith, 
or just as equally bad, completely silent about their faith, the Christians who are shining into the darkness, giving light to the room, right? Not, the, not like the lamp under the basket, but the one that's giving light, emitting light. Right? We need the power of discernment because the world needs visible Christians. The darkness needs light. So what the author is highlighting here is, on the one hand, very real danger that exists in the lack of discernment that... You know, if your Christian life is not visible in the real world, it might not even be real at all. And secondly, the real world needs real light. The real world needs real Christians who are visible. Okay, how do we get it? Okay, that's why we need it. How do we get it? And here's the comforting truth. Uh, There is a way to acquire the power of discernment. And the reason is because our Heavenly Father really wants to give it to us. If you lack wisdom, he says, ask, and it will be given to you. And discernment is essentially that. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. Uh, see, parents are they're generally okay with um, being sort of the voice in their, their children's lives, right, early on to tell them, hey, don't do this, do that, right? Or I tell my kids all the time, don't, don't do that, do this. Don't pick that up, put that down. Uh, choose A, don't choose B. Well, in this situation, you should choose B and not choose A. And parents have the responsibility to do that early on, and, and we, we generally embrace that. But not for the rest of their lives, right? Not when they're 20 years old, 30 years old, and 40 years old, right? Uh, Owen should not be coming to me when he's 40 and be like, Appa, uh, should I do this or that, right? All the time. There's something wrong with that. Um, because maturing means you're able to discern things for yourself and not just simply hear a voice telling you what to do. You should expect the same from your Heavenly Father. His will for you is to grow in your discernment, not grow in your ability to somehow hear an audible voice telling you what to do. Because if that's what drives you, if that's what directs your everyday decisions, you will not mature. You will not grow in your discernment. And that's not the will of our Heavenly Father, who loves us infinite, infinitely more than our earthly parents do. So our, our passage today, therefore, uh, provides us some very practical things we can do to acquire the power of discernment and develop the, the power of discernment throughout our lives. And it's a three-step waltz of hearing, doing, and growing. Okay. Hearing, doing, growing. And repeat, hearing, doing, and growing. Uh, First, it says in chapter 5, verse 11, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Okay? Right off the bat, there's an emphasis on hearing, not on explaining. Right? And and praise God for that. It's not really, the burden is not just on me to do a good job explaining. You got to hear this well and not be dull of hearing. And all the talk about you need milk, not solid food, means first of all, you need to hear from the Word of God. You need to hear the Word of God and the foundational things that are taught in the Word of God until you can handle solid food. So it's, this is not in any way saying it's bad to drink milk. It's bad to learn the foundational thing. It says you need milk, right? You need milk. 
You need to drink milk to the point where you lay a good foundation for yourself and then progress towards solid food. And it says this as well in 1 Peter 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, you need milk that's pure, which means sound doctrine, true doctrine in order to grow up into salvation. Isn't that interesting? They need to grow up into salvation. If you've been saved, grow into it. It's almost like if you've been given a, 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 a new suit, an adult-sized suit, when you're a child, your, your job now is to grow into it one day and fit into that suit. Are you? How do you do that? By building your foundational knowledge of the Word of God, by consuming enough milk, pure milk. And, and because this kind of hearing is also a gift from the Spirit, and, and the, these foundational things are gifts from the Spirit, and understanding it, discerning it, is also a gift of the Spirit, it says in chapter 6, verse 3, this we will do if God permits. If God permits. God is graciously teaching us these truths. We can't do this apart from the help of the helper. So, hearing, okay, that, and starting from the foundations, from the basics, and if you don't know where to start, I would encourage you guys to revisit our series on um, TULIP, the five points um, that summarize our Reformed theology well, because there are a lot of foundational truths about salvation there. Um, and it's fine if, if you're not sold out on Reformed theology. What are you sold out on then? Go for that, right? Whatever you consider pure spiritual milk, what is your foundation? Okay. Identify that and build upon it. Build upon it. Okay. And of course, for our church being rooted in Reformed tradition, that's it. The, the tulip, the five points of Calvinism, and, and that rootedness in theology is what we want to build upon. And then move on from there and go deeper, which is what verse 14 means by trained by constant practice. Right? Don't hear for hearing's sake here in order to put it into practice, put it to use. Use it in your evangelism, use it in your family worship, use it in encouraging one another in community, use it in praying for one another. Put it to use. As it says in James chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Why is that deceiving yourself? Well, if you're not, if you're not doing the word, you're not manifesting it in reality. Is it real? This is the kind of hearing that we need, the kind of hearing that leads to doing. Hearing that leads to doing. There has to be that step two. It's like, it's like hearing the rules to a board game. Okay? Nobody just listens to the rules of the board game just to listen to the rules. You listen so you can play. right? Put it to use. Same principle. Okay? So this is why um, I, I said this jokingly earlier, but in all seriousness, the burden of Registering the sermon doesn't merely fall on the preacher. It very much falls on the hearer, on you. The quality of the sermon, of course, matters. It's got to be true. It's got to be from the text. And, and to the degree that it is from the text, we believe it's Christ speaking. You're hearing the word of God, the very voice of God, if what you're hearing from the pulpit is truth from the scriptures. 
but the quality of the hearer is just as important. Right? That's why when we pray, when we pray when we receive God's word, we don't pray for the quality of God's word. We pray for our own heart's quality, our, our, the quality of our own ears, that our ears would be opened, our hearts would be opened. And we need to do this kind of hearing and doing to the point of growing. Okay, that's what chapter 6 verses, verses 1 and 2 are about. It's basically saying, let's not lay this foundation again and again and again and again. Let's build on the foundation. Build on that foundation. Right? You've, you've lingered long enough on the foundational truths of the gospel. Build upon it and don't lay that foundation again. Um, since I mentioned board games, this reminds me of just my personal mildly, mildly frustrating relationship with uh, settlers of Catan because every time I'm invited to play I have to relearn the rules I just can't do it I just can't remember the rules um, so that's all I do it, my relationship with Catan is all, all that is is learning the rules and it's frustrating <laughs> it's frustrating to me it's frustrating to people who are trying to play with me it's like this is the fifth time I'm teaching you the rules and a big part of that is, and, and this is going to hurt some feelings, it's because I don't really feel like the game is that much worth the, the attention, the attentiveness. <laughs> uh, it, I'm not as committed to learning it as I should be. And I, so therefore, I don't give enough care and attentiveness that's required of me. We can do that with God's word, with theology, where you lay the foundation again and again and again and again and again, but because you don't bring this, the level of attentiveness that's required and you don't really intend on putting it into practice, you don't grow beyond that point. And you're just continuing to lay those foundations, learning the basic principles of Christianity. What is a sign of growth? How do you, how do you know you're actually growing and what can you actually perhaps set up as a personal goal to strive towards? Verse 12 in chapter 5 gives us a good idea of what that growth looks like. It's when you're not simply being taught, but you're teaching. Okay. Um, when will I have grown in Catan? When I'm teaching someone else the rules, right? That's when I'm really, right, I got it. The measurement of your spiritual growth is not in how much you receive, but in how much you give. Not in your being discipled merely, but you're growing to the point of discipling others. And is that your goal? Is that where you're headed? Then great. If not, how can you head in that direction? That's the question you need to be asking. Hearing, doing, growing. Hearing, doing, growing. That's the waltz. And you go from one level of maturity to the next. And that's what the church is here for, to, to go on that journey together with you. In closing, I just want to say... Um, God loves you and he's calling you just as you are. He loves you just as you are. He calls you just as you are. But please know this too, that God is not calling you to simply remain as you are. He loves you as you are. He calls you as you are. But he's not content that you remain as you are. He loves you too much for that. Again, his love compared to my love for my children is infinitely greater. And I want my kids, as cute as they are, running around and, you know, 
when I see my one-year-old, uh, when I see Joni running around in her diaper and giggling and mumbling her ABCs, it's, it's incredibly adorable. But not if she was 20. That's gross. That's, that's a disease, right? If you're 20 years old, you're in your diaper, you're running around mumbling ABCs. God's will for you is not that you remain as you are. He'll receive you as you are. But his love for you will drive him to encourage you to grow from where you are to, to the level of maturity that enables you to practice the power of discernment in your everyday life. Walk with him in that direction and walk with the church in that direction. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift of discernment that enables us to live out our Christian faith. And if we have neglected this gift, we have, if we have neglected cultivating this power of discernment, we ask that you forgive us and be merciful to us. And as we have heard your word, even now, uh, may we move on to doing and move, move on to growing. Uh, help us not to lay again the foundation that you have laid for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.